0: All right. Thanks. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, you guys, for being here. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Uh, still waking up. That's all right. We, I have enough energy for all of us, I promise. I'm super excited about today. You got Kim already talking about it, and I think she's mostly excited about being able to wear that outfit as opposed to having to wear whatever else, because we're so formal here, you know, so way different. But anyway, really glad that you guys are here. Um, I uh, just in talking about, you know, there's been teams of volunteers that have been already working at with the school and with our partnership over there at, at Viejo Elementary, and they've been there like six hours a day for the past couple of days. Some of them got there like 6 a.m. this morning getting stuff set up for you. And some of you are like, I would go, but I don't have like, I don't bring my, I didn't bring the clothes to wear. We'll give you a shirt. Someone sponsored all these shirts. You get a shirt. There you go. Now you can, you know, do whatever you want with that shirt, but we got a shirt for you. That's awesome. Um, It's going to be great. I had a great conversation this past week with our Rooted group. Rooted is our sort of gateway into life groups. Had great conversation with the Rooted folks about everybody's favorite topic in church, which was money. That was so fun. Everybody loves to hear me talk about that. But very cool, just really kind of getting the sense about, you know, kind of in summary, you know, we are people who live in God's earth, and He owns everything, and we just are His managers or His stewards, and we don't own stuff, we just manage it. Very cool, a lot of great conversation. Some people weren't too sure about that idea, like, you don't know my boss. I work really hard, and I own my stuff, because my boss is a nightmare, and I get that. But we just had a great conversation, very fun stuff. And, um, you know, we're back in the series just for a little bit as we wrap up this this, just for the summer, we wrap up this walk through Luke, which has been a, you know, a blistering pace that we started, I don't know, probably in January. I don't know when, and we're all the way in chapter 6. Uh, so we've been kind of moving through Luke, and we're going to kind of put a cap on that today. And then um, we'll, we'll come back to it whenever, you know, I don't know when, but we got some great summer stuff coming up um, as well. But the series is called What If? And the series is a look basically as if you're someone who's brand new to church or investigating Jesus or all that kind of stuff, you're looking at what if... What if what he said was true? Like, that's all you're looking at. If, what if Jesus, whatever he said and what if he, whatever he did, what if that's true? If the Bible's true, all that, those are questions you're asking. And for those of you who have been a part of a church or who are part of our church community here or whatever, you've been a, around church for a while, you're asking a different question, which is, what if, what if the stuff that he said was true and I lived like it was true? Meaning my life ought to look different. What if everything that I've been learning about this person, Jesus, is actually true? And what if I lived like it were? Not that it's just some theory about some religious guy, some figure you know, 2,000 years ago. What if I actually lived as if my life was different because it was true? And so that's what we've been looking at. And regardless of where you are on that spectrum, I know a lot of you guys bring your friends to church, and you kind of want to give them a sense of what it's about, and that's you. You know, you came, you don't know. Great. I'm so glad that you're here. You will not be asked to recite anything or sing a song or do anything like that unless you want to, but we'll do that later at Serve Day. Anyway, um, let's pray together, and we'll get into today's message, and I'll send you out to Serve Day. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we uh, we are grateful people. We're grateful because um, you know us, you know all of us, you know everything, and you still love us, and you still call us your kids. Father, today would you give us a fresh understanding of that love, that while we might have heard about it or know about it or it might be something we have a concept of, might it be made completely fresh today for us? Father, would you give us the courage to live out the kind of love that you love us with? Jesus, before we take any further steps, as we kind of customarily do, we pause, that we might exhale a little bit, that we might let go of whatever else has been in our our week this week, and that you might speak to us, Father, in words that are beyond words, in the stillness of, of this moment, would you speak to us, Jesus, as you would do, and remind us about how much you love us. Jesus, there's so much going on in our lives. And we worry that we're not good enough. We worry that we're not capable enough. We worry that everything's going to come crashing down. And we worry, Father, that if, if it was really true that you did know us, that you wouldn't want us around. And yet, Father, it is your mercy that is the unrelenting story of the Bible. And so might we live in that today in a fresh way, Jesus. In your name, amen. Well, like I said, we're continuing in this series uh, called What If. If you want to take out your outline, which is in your bulletin, there is some stuff to kind of look at there. Some of you just, you keep the outline just throws you off or whatever. Everything you need to be on the screen. If you want to follow along in your Bible, we'll, we'll be in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse uh, right around 30, 27. So you want to take a look there, and we'll, we'll be in there you know, primarily today. Um, as you're doing that, as you're, you know, you want to take notes, you're a note person, take a pen out, whatever. Um, I, um, I, have, I have to tell you a story this, this past uh, this, two weeks ago. Um, I go, My son rides his bike to school and I take my, uh, my second grade daughter to school in the car or we walk or whatever, but I'm walking past the bike racks um, as I'm going to, to take my daughter to school and my son's bike is there in the bike rack and it is unlocked. And so I walk, I, I'm like, oh wow, Dylan's bike's unlocked, you know, that's kind of weird. So I walk over and I lock the bike for him and I take my daughter to school and okay, bye sweetheart and you know, it's all, it's real important, the procedure with my daughter. It's different than my son. My son's like, you know, dad... He like doesn't even want me to say anything to him in the morning, but you know, like I do anyways. And of course, the more embarrassed he is, the bigger I get. You know, bye, son. I love you. I really love you. Right when you get home, there'll be a huge hug waiting for you, buddy. And he's just like more and more. You know, so that's just the torture I get to give to my son. It's my great joy of my life. Okay, so I do that. But my daughter is like, you know, it's like a procedure. It's a hug. It's a kiss. It's a I love you. There's a whole thing. But I'm walking out as I'm walking back to the car, and I and I look at my son's bike again, which I have now locked, and I go. That's He's just going to think his lock magically locked itself. He's going, to think, he's going to think that whatever he did in the morning was sufficient to protect his bike. And that's just not, it's not going to help him learn anything. So I stole his bike. <laughs> I just, I, like, and the other, other parent, now this is what's funny because, you know, by, well, anyways, I'm walking the bike out. First of all, if you wanted to just, this is not good advice. This is just a story. Like, if you wanted to go steal bikes and sell them on Craigslist, just act. I dress like a concerned parent, like you're ready for work, and just walk a bike out and just look like a look of shame on your face? Nobody questions you. They're like, oh, that must be his bike. Yep, like he's, that's his kid's bike, and he's gonna, you know, do something with it. Maybe it's got a flat tire, whatever. No one will question you. If you just want to make a little extra money on the side and steal bikes, that's how. Okay, there's a little advice from your pastor. Okay, Uh, but I'm walking this bike out, and some of the families that the families that know me and even know my son's bike are like, what are you doing? And uh, to the dads, I would say, you know, hey, I, I I stole my, my son's bike to, you know, he, he forgot to lock it up. I'm taking it home and just letting him feel that. And the dad's like, way to go. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we need more of that happening around here. You know, like, you know, like they're all excited about it. And all of the moms, every, to, to a person was like, oh, no. Oh, wow. That's, I don't, I don't know. Okay. Well, they kind of, and the moms that don't know me that well are kind of like, oh, that's, that's interesting. You know, like they don't know what to say to me. The moms that do know me are like, wow, are you sure you want to do that? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. One guy, one guy was like, I talked to one of my buddies who was like, I'm just going to go take my son's bike right now too. He locked it up. I'm just taking it anyway. I'm like, no, no, don't do that. Like, you don't, that's not, don't do that. So I took his bike home. And the whole idea behind this is that I wanted him, now this is where, again, dads are like, then moms are, what are you doing? You're insane. You're a mean person. But I wanted him to have like a negative emotional experience. I really did. I wanted him to go, Oh, my gosh. Ah, my bike's gone. And then what he does is he walks from the bike rack about 400 yards to a park where all, you know, Amanda and then all these other moms are there hanging out with the kids, play for a little bit, and then they go home. And I wanted him to have that sort of walk of just total... Regret and terror for like, for and again, see the moms on there just went, oh gosh, and the dads are like, yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm yeah. So I wanted him to walk all the way down there, and then eventually, you know, depending on the circumstances, you know, my wife could rescue him or tell him the truth or what, you know, whatever needed to happen. Which of course I wanted him to just walk home and just be sad, which that was just too much, evidently. So my wife rescued him way too early, I guess. As soon as she, as soon as he got to the park, don't worry, dad took the bike, you know. Anyway, now. All of this idea falls under this category of something we call tough love. And the idea of it is that we're, we kind of give the people that we love a version of some kind of tough experience such that they'll learn something for themselves. That's tough love. Dads are a little bit more okay with that than moms typically. Not always, but typically. Now, I think when we talk about the Bible, Jesus has a version of tough love that's different than what I just described. It's a different kind of tough love. And what he does is he describes a kind of love that is so much more difficult for the person giving the love, being the loving person, than for the one who receives it. Because when we're talking about tough love, we're saying you're going to receive a little dose of reality and it's going to be hard for you. But tough love, as Jesus talks about it, is one in which if you choose to be a person who loves other people, in the way Jesus describes it, it is so incredibly difficult. It is a monumental task. It is unbelievably peculiar and different from the way the rest of the world loves. It is a tough brand of love. But before we get to that, you have to understand something about this kind of love that Jesus talks about. That it is not just simply something that you just go out and try, because people have heard this before. What we're going to talk about is content that has been famous since about the you know, 1500s. It's very famous content. It has a special title, and we're going to get to it in a little bit. But if you don't understand the framework of this conversation about this toughest kind of love for us to actually participate in, you'll miss the whole thing. Because it is so critical and it is so difficult because Jesus sets it up in a way, such that if you understand this first thing, everything else—which I'm actually giving it to you out of order— which everything else we're going to do makes way more sense. Now, here's this framework. There's this this kind of love that Jesus talks about is built on a premise, and if you miss it, it won't work. And here's what it is. Luke six thirty six says this: "Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful." Now, I think for us, we could spend I could, we could do weeks just on this idea. We could spend a lot of time just talking about that concept alone. Because, you know, as we talk about stuff, you know, I, I think most of us are engaged, at least the world is, is engaged in a kind of cosmic scale version of Mad Libs. In which, I think I even put on your outline, you can see there's like, describe this kind of God. Like, give us a describing word, you know, like what is it, an adjective describing God? And, and however we fill in the blank, as your father is blank determines so much of how we see ourselves. It determines so much of how we see the rest of the world. It determines this very nature of this really difficult love we're going to be challenged to engage in. If we see him as something other than merciful. Because so many of us have different words we put in that blank. You know, we have, we have all kinds of words. We have words like cruel sometimes for us. We have words like distant. We have words like condemning, fear inducing you we have words like shaming some of us have a different picture of god on totally other end of the spectrum which are words like patient or hope giving or tender or listening but the truth is however it is that you write that adjective about how you actually see god determines everything else we're talking about today and we're going to be talking about this idea of love and i want you to understand something What's surprising is, when Jesus is talking about this idea of love, he doesn't say be loving as your father is loving. He doesn't say be compassionate, although those things would necessarily be true, as your father is compassionate. Don't be humble. It's something different. What he says is be merciful. That in some way or another, the way God's mercy works informs the way that we love other people in a way that any other characteristic of God doesn't. And until we have that in view, that God is a merciful God, our own ability to be this kind of courageous, tough kind of loving person is not even there. It's a total mess. I feel like so much of what I do is my job when I'm teaching is about trying. It's sort of kind of like spiritual optometry. <laughs> like, like God is a little bit out of focus for most people. That they've been given a lens either from the world or from their own experience that is just a little bit off and it is informing the rest of the way that they live. And all I'm trying to do on the weekend is go, let's just change the prescription just a hair. Maybe there's a little bit out of focus for how you see God because that is where everything else starts. It is how you see yourself. It is how you see the world. And so we have to have greater clarity before we get into today's sort of conversation, which is that God himself is merciful. And so we get to be like him. Merciful, which informs the way we love. Here's what it says, backing up a bit into verse 27. Take a look at this. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to the other, other cheek also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. These are words you might have heard before if you grew up in the church. These are words that kind of express this idea of a courageous, very tough-to-give kind of love. Now, what's not surprising in this passage are are a couple words. If you had to describe words that Jesus would use, these are words you'd imagine. Love, do good, bless, pray, give. These are all words you go, Jesus says that kind of stuff. Those are not shocking words. We get it. What's shocking is something totally different. It's the it's the recipients of those words, because we understand love and do good and you know be sweet and all. Oh, we understand all those kind of churchy concepts. But where this starts to get a little bit bizarre is that he starts talking about people that fall into the category of things like enemies, people who hate you, people who curse you. People who humiliate you, which is like, basically, we talk about a slap. A slap is a humiliation act. It's a, you know, in, in, some of you may have read this article, it was in LA Times not too long ago, it was a article on the, the sort of the north shore of, of Oahu pipeline kind of surf culture that's there, and amid, you know, um, one of the, sort of the a local group that regulates there, it's basically a gang, but they, they enforce who gets what waves and who's, who's supposed to be safe out there, they're called the wolf pack, And basically what they'll do is this, if you take off on someone else's wave, if you go where you're not supposed to, if you do something you're not supposed to, what will happen is they walk over to you and they slap you, like a full open palm slap. You get slapped in the face. And the idea is that it's so much more humiliating than just being punched, like in a regular fight. Now, there are regular fights that break out all the time, too. But the idea is they find this guy on the beach, they get there, and they just open palm slap him. Bam. The idea is you stepped out, and we have to humiliate you and put you back in your right space. Same concepts here. This idea of being slapped on the cheek is the same thing. In the ancient world, to be slapped is to say, you overstep some bounds and let me put you back in your space. Let me elevate myself above you such that you're humiliated. And what's being talked about here is these people whom we're supposed to love, hate, curse, mistreat, humiliate us, and they take, us such that we're, they take stuff from us such that we're exposed. Our coat, such that we're exposed. And they rob us of our dignity. And he says love to them love them that's shocking that is a very difficult kind of love to engage in the question for us is where do, where are these enemies what are they what constitutes an enemy what makes them what makes someone who is a stranger or someone i just know what moves them from the status of being someone just kind of around to someone who is really now difficult to love what makes someone an enemy lots of things i mean sometimes we find enemies on the road they're very easy to find in traffic. They make themselves known to us very easily. You know, it's as simple as uh, I'm, uh, we're driving to soccer practice the other day, and uh, Amanda's driving, and we're, we're, you know, we're all, everybody's in the minivan, and she puts a signal on in traffic to, like, get over a lane, and a guy acknowledges the, the signal and then speeds up immediately to get right next to her to which I honestly did this. You guys, you're going to gonna think I'm, I gave, I just, I'm not telling you the truth. But I looked over and gave him a thumbs up. I just gave him one of these. I didn't, I didn't do anything else. Some of you are thinking, nah, thumbs up is a euphemism for something else. No, it's not. I just went, hey, man, good job. Cool. Thanks for that. And he didn't give me, you know, just like gave me a look. But it was like he needed that extra hundred yards. You know, he couldn't get, and that guy's now an enemy, right, easily. Now, some of you are like, how dare you? I know it was you, sir. No, just kidding. <clears throat> but there's people on the road that instantly become our enemy. There are people in our job who have become our enemy, who have backstabbed us, who have lied about us. Maybe our boss is someone who is actually, who may in fact write our review, but they're also our enemy. We have people in our family who were supposed to love us who never did in the way that they were supposed to. People who took advantage of their position of power and influence in our own lives. People in the closest circle of our own lives who became our enemy because they did something that wronged us. Enemies range from the very petty to the most serious. People that have done things to us that... Done things us we don't we cannot even mention we can't talk about we've buried because they're so painful and we don't know any other category to put them in except enemy. For me, I have this. There's this weird. By the way, this is weird. Well, I have I have my own my own take on enemies. Is one in which I feel like most often for me, not always, but most often, my own experience with enemies is that generally these are people with whom I, I they somehow manage to. Enrage my own insecurities, and there are people about whom that I am blaming for my own mistakes. Not always, but generally. This past week, this is, this is, this is an indication of my own insecurity. <laughs> this past week, so every week you heard, hey, we sent out a compass, and it does, you know, whatever. It tells you about the church. And on Thursday, I write a letter. And there's a copy editor at the Irvine campus who reviews everything to make sure it's grammatically correct, that I don't say, like, you know, you know, I were awesome one day. Or, you know, I were, I weren't, you know, I were, whatever. They make sure I just say verb tenses. They're good at Mad Libs, that kind of stuff. They get it all right. So uh, I send this note. And the note, if you read it this week, some of you guys know where this is going. If you read this thing, I, I was like, try, I was trying to talk about how this week, this, this Sunday is going to be this great serve day. It's going to be so important. You know, it's, Jesus talks about being great, it's about being a servant, all this stuff. And I talk about how my usual weekend experience is one in which, you know, it's like people ask me about it. Depending on the circumstances, I tell them kind of how it went. And generally, it's pretty like, I don't really want to talk about it. I'm usually pretty tired on Sunday. and you know, So I'm kind of telling the story, and I talk about how if I have more time or if i more relaxed, I'm telling the story, and I'm affirming the church. I'm like, you know, I love to tell them about the patio, and I tell them about all the people I've met, the people I've brought to our church. And I talk about praying for people or being whatever else it is, whatever else is going on. And the last line, I was, what I intended to say was, it was good. How I actually wrote it was, I was good. Now, this is a letter. Now, I don't know how many people read it. But, the, like, if you knew me, like, just to let you know, I, have, I am the most insecure about how I feel about what I'm doing right at this moment. And that the idea that I would ever say I was good, that that would get translated, that I would get sent out to all these people, like, I generally just tell everybody I was good, is, like, the last thing I would ever want to be published. So, now, I give this note to the Irvine campus, the copy editors, I'm supposed to give it to them, like, on Wednesday, I, and it's due on noon on Thursday. I looked at my email. I sent it to, to her at 11.52. So the chances that she's going to catch things, A, that are not, it's not a grammatical issue, grammatic issue. It's just my own insecurity. She's going to have to know my own insecurities about stuff and then have to correct it is incredibly small. It's really my own fault. Let's be clear. But for the next couple hours, as I saw that thing get published and sent out, I was like, I have a new enemy. I am so mad at her. You know, like, and she's this really great person. You know she, you know she's and she's. I just was like, oh, oh my gosh, I I'm like so like frustrated. I wrote a, I wrote a nice email like, hey, this is hilarious. <laughs> but in my heart, it was like I am, I'm terrified now. Everybody thinks I think when I get off the stage, I'm like I was good. I was just I was good. <laughs> I never think that. I always think, oh my gosh, did every is everyone going to leave anyway? Just to let you know that. Okay, now. It is so easy to find and identify enemies. It's so easy to find people. And for me, like I said, they're usually connected to my own insecurity. Now granted, there are people who, are, who have an enemy status in our lives, who have wronged us, who have done things to us, who will continue to do things to us, that are completely unwarranted and are most definitely not connected to our insecurities. In fact, they may have caused our insecurities. Regardless of where we are on that spectrum, Jesus says this insane thing. Love your enemies. Just love your enemies. The whole idea here. This is the kind of, this is the most difficult kind of love to administer. It is the toughest love. No question about it. He summarizes this idea in what in the 16th century came to be known as the golden rule. It says this, Luke 6:31, Do to others as you would have them do to you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, this is the sum. Now, it's like what we want is the others that, to be kind of a narrow band of people that are kind of awesome. We want it to be those people. Only what he's just said is these are all the kinds of people that are the others. Those who hate you, mistreat you, humiliate you, expose you, rob you. Those people, I want you to make sure that you love them. It's not not a new concept. The basic idea is common in the ancient world. I'll give you a couple examples. There's some I wrote, just some people on your outline, just ideas. Jesus says a little different than them, but you can look at the difference here. Look at this. Rabbi Hillel says it this way. We have that. It says, whatever is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. So whatever is really hateful, which leaves a little bit of margin. Like if something's like mildly annoying, can I do that to someone else? Is that, cause if, like if I, you know, if we're riding in the van together, can I do the I'm not touching you game with someone else? Because I, you know, I don't, hate it's annoying. Okay, can we do that? Now the next one is this. Look, look at this. This is Confucius. He says of this. What you do not wish for yourself, do not do to others. Okay, some Greek philosophers. I wrote Aristotle. It should be different than that. But here, go with that one. Good. Avoid doing what you'd blame others for doing to you. I actually like that one. Avoid doing to others what you'd blame others for doing to you. Now, Jesus' is slightly different, though. Look at it again. Put put Matthew 6.31 on the screen again. Look at Jesus' difference. The difference between these and Jesus'. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In other words, it's not simply about avoiding the things, avoiding doing the things that other people hate. It's about moving toward people. Find those other people and do stuff to them that is awesome the way you want to do, be great to them. It's not just simply avoid doing stuff that you hate. It's about moving towards people with a a manner of love and of speaking in such a way. And so he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This is an absurd kind of love. Because it's not just for the people that we like or the people that are kind of like us, or people that can get us stuff. Here's what he says in verse 32. If you love those who love you, What credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be paid in full. Jesus is saying, this kind of love that we're talking about it needs to be, it needs to seem, and it needs to look to the rest of the world as peculiar. It needs to look as bizarre. It needs to seem to other people as an act of craziness. Because the world does stuff in a way that we kind of go, ah, well, we, we, that makes sense. People that are great and are good to you, you're good to them. There's nothing absurd about that. There's nothing tough about that. There's nothing courageous about that. And Jesus says, "No, when you do stuff, do stuff for people who can't even repay you. Just as a side note, there is this, you know, what we're doing today isn't clearly, it's not clearly towards an enemy, but I want you to understand the, the, one, of the, one of the ethics behind this is we are a part of doing something in the community for people we're not expecting anything in return for. To which people are skeptical of the church, like, what are you guys doing? You're out here, you've got your, sh- your rakes and your shovels and stuff, and you're planting plants and you're painting walls, and, and what else are you guys going to do? Whatever you want us to do. We're here to serve. People in the world do not understand. They always believe there's an agenda. There is no agenda. We believe in blessing this community. We're partnering with the school. That's what it's about. But we do not expect anything in return. We don't expect a repayment. We might want a photo on our wall, but that's about it. Jesus says when you love people, don't expect anything in return. He says the way that you should do it, it should look peculiar and different. Now, you have to know something here. I have to tell you something. This is really important. All of this talk about loving your enemies and loving those people who have wronged you is not a justification for the wrong that they have done. This is not a a way to just go, okay, well, everything's cool now. Everything they did's fine. That's not what that is. This is a way to redirect our own hearts. It's a way to redirect our own responses to people who have wronged us. It does not justify the wrong that they have done. Please understand that. You are not expected to bury things in your life that are uncomfortable or are not okay or wrong, the expectation is that you would be able to begin because of God's incredible love for you. This kind of mercy that he shows to you might be able to direct a response that isn't revenge-oriented. That's what we're talking about. Luke 6.35 says it this way. But love your enemies, as he summarizes. Do good to them, and lend to them to expect without getting anything in return. Now, Will, will, we, will, people, will people choose you as an enemy? Yes. So if you can't believe that they will, they will. For some reason, some insecurity, whatever it might be, they'll choose you as, your enemy, as their enemy. We don't want them to, but they just will. Will other people be, will you be wronged in your future by other people? Absolutely. But our own heart, our own way in which we respond is shaped by something different, which is in view of something else. It is in view of God's unbelievable and unrelenting mercy upon us. We're going to be wrong. We're going to wrong other people. We talk about all the time in our church, if you're new with us, this is, this is a place where people who do not have all the answers and don't have it all together. So we know we're going to make mistakes and we know we're going to blow it and we know we're going to hurt other people and the only way in which we're able to respond is if we understand God's heart for us, which is one in which he's shown us this kind of mercy, which he's in total focus. God's mercy for us enables us to do this kind of courageous thing. But there's another layer How long can you sincerely pray for the goodness of a person? How long can you sincerely uh, lend to them without expecting anything in return? How long is it that you can do good to them such that they retain the title of enemy forever? Eventually, this kind of action moves them in your own heart from being an enemy to something else. You can't do it. You can't if you're sincerely praying for someone over and over again that, that, that God's blessing would be upon them. You can't sincerely be moving towards someone, giving them whatever they need, or being a part. You can't do it so long as you continue to think of them as an enemy. In other words, this is Jesus' very incredibly brilliant, subtle, very difficult way of un- this is not a word, but un people. There are these people who will wrong you, and they have done wrong, But because people do wrong to you, do they instantly become an enemy? How do we unenemyize people in our lives? This is what it says. I know what you're thinking. This is like so hard. (laughs) This isn't, I mean, this is a very theoretical kind of way to live, and we should all aspire to it, and I get what you're saying, but that's just insane. Because I don't really see, very pragmatic, I don't really see the payoff. I don't get why this matters. I get why we're supposed to do it. I get Jesus' whole thing and the golden rule. I've heard that since I was a little kid. But I don't get what the payoff is. Look what he says in verse 35b. He says this. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Now, he's saying then, we do good to our enemies. And we lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Your reward will be great. There's this payoff line here. And he's saying you'll be children of the Most High because he's kind or merciful to the ungrateful and the wicked. And we think, well, lucky for those ungrateful and the wicked. (laughs) Glad they're going to have some mercy from God. That's great. Where are the ungrateful and the wicked? What constitutes an ungrateful and a wicked person? Jesus is not talking about the them, the enemies out there. He's talking about us. We do good and we lend without expecting in return because God is merciful, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. That's us. It isn't simply that he's saying I'm going to be great to other people out there and you you should probably kind of follow my example because the wicked are out there and we should be kind. He's saying, no, 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 no. God's mercy is for us. We know us. We are not as wonderful as we let everybody else believe. And when we're really honest, we have God going, I see everything that you've been a part of and done and I am merciful to you. God's mercy is already for you. You've already got, he's already extending it toward you. He gives to us his kindness. He gives to us this kind of mercy even when we long before we deserve anything, before we will ever deserve any of this kind of thing. We engage in this kind of love and believe in this kind of mercy because it literally transforms our lives. I want you to watch a video of a woman whose name is Jean and she's 70 years old, and I want you to catch this picture of how she's transformed by this kind of love. Check this out.
1: Uh, I guess you could say that I had a rather difficult childhood. My mother died when I was 10 months old, and I was placed in an orphanage at age 2. When I was 12 years old, I was adopted from the orphanage by a couple. Unfortunately, they were alcoholics, Again, that wasn't a very pleasant situation, but uh, I muddled through. I got married at age 19. Uh, After 18 years of marriage, we got divorced, and I uh, went kind of crazy. And I just drank heavily. There would be large portions of an evening that I couldn't remember. I pretty much... Lost faith in humanity. I didn't want to go out. I was very depressed and on medication. I was isolating. I didn't want to go out in public. I didn't want to be around a lot of people. My daughter Christine had been attending Mariners for some time, and she asked me to go with her. And I don't know. Oh, all right, you know. I've begrudgingly went with her. Then last October, November, the pastor was giving a message about God's forgiveness and that it is huge, it's infinite, you know. I felt my sins were too great. I didn't see how he could forgive me. He certainly knew everything, he knew everything. let's just put it that way. That was when it hit me that He forgave me too. People that knew me then and that see me now tell me I don't even look like the same person, that I have so much joy and I seem so happy all the time. And I tell them I am because now I have the joy of the Lord with me and He has changed my life so dramatically. I I can't even put it into words sometimes. I'm Jean, I'm 70 years old, and I have a new life.
0: Hmm. See, God's mercy isn't for those people way out there. Well, it is. But if we only assume it's for those people and not for us, then we miss the whole concept of this kind of insane, crazy, bizarre, absurd, really tough kind of love to engage in. God's intention is for you to understand first and foremost that God's love and mercy are for you. How often we forget how easy it is for us to absorb the lies of our own world, our own past that say you are not good enough to receive this love, which inhibits our ability to love other people. If we cannot receive God's mercy, mercy then it'll be so much more difficult for us, impossible, to unenemyize people, people who we have called enemies who have wronged us. See, this is not a weak kind of love. This is a very tough kind of love. Because we are the toughest to love. You know, on the cross, Jesus has this experience. I want you to remember, just think back before about the kind of people Jesus talks about whom we have to love. This is where this is geared, we're kind of aiming at here. These are people, just remember, who, just to go back again real quickly, who hated us, who curse us, who mistreat us, who humiliate us, who expose us, and who rob us. On the cross, Jesus is hated he's cursed, he is mistreated, he's humiliated, he is exposed, stripped naked, and then people are gambling for his own clothes to take them. Does that sound familiar? Like maybe there's some to that Jesus says this, Luke 23, on the cross, from the cross, he says these words famously. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, there's mercy there, for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. God's mercy isn't just a theory. It is one in which he lives out and it is most clearly demonstrated on the cross in which he says, for people like us, forgive them. I don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I'll give you just a, one practical thing and then something to think about. Okay, so here's a practical thing. When you encounter someone, this is really like brass tacks kind of practical. When you encounter something or someone who has done something to you that is so incredibly wrong or so difficult for you to understand, that puts them in the category, at least takes them a few steps closer to the idea of enemy. I don't mean that maybe they're not a full-blown enemy, but they're getting there, right? I want to give you just a couple steps, okay? So you can write these down if you want. If you don't want to, you think you've got it, great. You think you've already mastered the art of forgiveness, just stand there and just, I got this. Okay, whatever you want to do. Okay, now here's, here's a couple things to think about, okay? That first, when someone wrongs you, does it identify that there is an incident that has happened. Clearly go, this has been wrong. That's fine. Call it what it is. Identify a feeling. is the second step. Generally, there's only a couple feelings you feel. You can try to find out that they're basically categories. Disappointed, hurt, sad, angry. That's it. There's probably, you're going, there's other ones. They probably fit into those buckets. Disappointed, hurt, sad, and angry. Find one of those feelings. Then identify And somewhere in your life, have you experienced this before that this might be actually bringing this up again? Is this a familiar kind of incident? So first you have the incident. Secondly, you identify, you know, how does this actually feel? Disappointed, hurt, sad, or angry. Third, does this seem familiar? Is this kind of, is this this scenario, is there a reason why we're reacting with such reaction? Because... It seems familiar. Fourth, find a time in your own life when you acted virtually the same way. Where you go, I I did that. I've done that before. People are pretty ticked about the way I handled that too. And then five, pray for your (laughs) enemy. Now, it isn't a perfect scenario. It doesn't work every time. I am telling you in my own life, those five things in my own life, have helped me tremendously. Have I ever not let someone over on the road who needed to get over into a lane because I needed those extra 100 yards? No, I have not. Yes, of course I have, yes. (laughs) Have I ever accidentally missed something? Have I ever, you know, like, not caught a little tiny edit thing perhaps? Virtually every week, there's probably some typo on your outline that I miss. Yeah. Have I ever said something behind someone else's back that wounded them later? Yes. Have I ever done something to someone else that I'm supposed to love that really wounded them? Yes. Have I been a not good boss? Yes. Have I been a not good employee? Yes. 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 And God is merciful to me. And so I can be merciful. I can live out this kind of courageous love. And it is not easy. It is tough. And it comes at a price. But it is the most beautiful kind of love. Would you close your eyes? and Consider a few things just for a moment. Just with your eyes closed. We're going to move into a time to respond as we do every week. Generally that's with, with some singing and then with some, some prayer. For those of you who want to come forward and receive prayer, or write prayers down on our prayer wall. But as you're, just as your eyes are closed, where is it in your life that you can identify some people who, while they might not be full blown enemies, they definitely fall in that category? They at least are people you don't like or are uncomfortable around because of the way that they make you feel. Where are the people that have wronged you, that have done the things that you know were not okay, but they did anyways? Do you have disappointment? Do you have sadness? Do you have hurt? Do you have anger? Is there a time in your life where that sort of maybe has seemed familiar and has maybe even prompted your response, which is stronger, maybe even than the incident sort of allowed for, was appropriate? Is there something in which you might be able to connect with that similar action to someone else that you have gone and done that that same thing? Maybe not exactly the same, but there is some capacity in which you have violated someone in some capacity, small or big in some way, in which they might have felt the same way you have felt. Jesus, we pray for those the people we can barely even utter their names, the people that wrong us, the people that have abused us, the people that have taken advantage of us. We pray for them right now. We pray the thing we don't want to pray because they don't deserve it. We pray, Father, that you would give to them an abundance of life and of joy and a blessing. We pray that you would fill this Sunday for them with the greatest of all of light that life has to offer, that they might be full of your joy. And we do not like praying it. But Father, we also know that it is that same way in which you look at us. People that would choose to humiliate you, run away from you, take from you, abandon you, forget about you, you look at us and say, Mercy, I give you my mercy. Father, as we respond in prayer, as we respond with singing, Might you fill us with, fill us the ungrateful and the wicked as we are sometimes. Would you fill us with the joy that we cannot understand? Might we respond with great emotion, with great sincerity of heart? Might you hear our prayer as we set it to music? And might we be people who are united in our understanding that you have been merciful to us? It is in your name, Father, that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and respond.